Thank you, Ellen. Thank you. I thought I'd stand up here just because I'm a bit short. So, um, our best kept secret is our weakness. Because when we cry out, God meets us. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And this morning I want to share with you my relationship with vulnerability. So I'm going to take you back about eight years. And I was working as a writer, freelance, uh, primarily poetry. And it had been a vision that I felt God had given me, um, a gift that I wanted to share. And my real heart was to meet with people who were in vulnerable situations, to hear their stories, to give them a voice, and then to share um, those poems with wider audiences at festivals and gigs and things like this. So that had been my heart and my vision. And I was working for a short time uh, with Bernardos up in Scotland, uh, working with young people who were in the care system, just out of prison or in a homeless or vulnerable situation. And I was running creative writing classes for them with the kind of vision uh, or the view to helping them with their writing and their literacy, also just helping them to have a somewhere to come, to be creative. And from my point of view, it was to help them engage with their own stories, to process things that happened to them, um, and to kind of yeah, create a safe space for them to share. And one day I went into one of these sessions and I'd had the same group for about a week now. And this young guy who always wore this grey hoodie with his hood up, um, he said, oh, miss. And I was like, yes. Um, and he said, oh, so what do you write poems about then? And I said, well, anything really. I'm quite inspired by people, but that's the beauty of creative writing. You can literally write about anything. And he said, all right then, I want you to write a poem about my hood. I said, okay. By the end of the week, you'll have a poem about a hood. And I'm going to share that poem with you now. And um, the first little bit goes through four different voices in first person. And this is called Hoods. I learnt not to care for care or dare to foster dreams. There was a rhythm to my life. Mum was a black, blue, beaten wife. My sister took her own life. And dad was all I had, but alcohol had all of dad. So don't assume I care for care, or ever could, and I wear my lack of care for care under my hoodie hood. But you'll find we all hide under hoods of different kinds, and no matter what hood we're under, we feel misunderstood. And I am a widow, but you wouldn't know, because I preheat my smile for it not to show, and I need my need to be kneaded into cookie dough, and I bake for neighborhood luncheons, community functions, all occasions, baking all butter scones and scones with raisins. But since my partner passed, I've masked the half heartbeat of widowhood. And I wear my need to be needed under my cookerhood. But you'll find we all hide under hoods of different kinds. And no matter what hood we're under, we feel misunderstood. And I park my soft top convertible outside the spa. But I never made it as a sports star, never owned a classy bar. I've not rocked out on a stage guitar. You see, my business plans never got very far. And now I'm trapped in an office job and a charcoal suit, taking ready meals for one out of my fancy car boot. 
and I wear my disappointments under my convertible car hood. But you'll find we all hide under hoods of different kinds and no matter what hood we're under, we feel misunderstood. And I am a mother of four, you see. So now I dream in Lunchables of Dairy Lee, holidays where kids go free, and I know every line from Toy Story 3. I've perfected balancing four kids on two knees, but I wear my help. I've lost me under the busyness of motherhood. But you'll find we all hide under hoods of different kinds, and no matter what hood we're under, we feel misunderstood. And there is the likelihood, if you were to Google hood, that the list would include your hood, or so it should. Maybe it was being rude in your childhood, or a feud that tore a sisterhood. Maybe it was a romance in your girlhood, or the bromance of brotherhood. But maybe you were named infertile by motherhood, or feel a failure in your fatherhood. Maybe you've buried yourself in servanthood, or trying to fit in with the neighborhood. But maybe in your adulthood, you haven't experienced a spinsterhood or joined up to the priesthood, but at the very least, you should have a hood, as every person has a personhood. So whether we're on happy meals or meals on wheels, there's no need for me to remind that you'll find we all hide under hoods of different kinds, and no matter what hood we're under, we feel misunderstood. And after I shared that poem with this group of young people, I could tangibly see that they were moved. I could sense the atmosphere in the room change. And I could see this one particular guy feel validated and seen, truly seen um, and recognized. And for me, that moment had real significance. I realized that, yes, this is what I want to do with my writing. This is where I want to kind of, yeah, meet with people in this vulnerability because it's a powerful space where they can begin to process things, where they can begin some sort of healing, whatever needs to happen for them. Um, and yeah, that was really a moment for me where I saw particularly this young guy, but his friends as well, their attitudes changed towards me. They changed towards the other adults that they came in contact with. And there was just a lot more openness and understanding that we as humans wherever we're from, whoever we are, we're not so different. Um, and I really wanted to have that as a focus for my writing. And I was traveling sort of all over the UK, sharing at different events and different things um, across a few years. And I also did some trips abroad to work with some mission organizations to meet with people in different countries. And one of the ones I went to more laterally uh, was Cambodia. And I met with some women who'd been freed from sex trafficking. Um, and a lot of them had been uh, trafficked um, from, ch from childhood. Um, so hearing some of their stories was, yeah, just um, horrendous. So I'm going to share one of those poems with you. Um, and again, this one sort of, I guess, highlights that we're just not so different um, as people. But also, uh, I felt like as I journeyed with people and as I went to different places, um, I learned a lot about people as humans and how we function and how our hearts are. Um, so this one is called Traffic. I'll just share part of it, but the, 
The rest is in the book. And um, so this is called Trafficked. What people do is not so far apart from the condition of their heart. From this ordeal, what I have come to find is that bound people bind people, captive people capture people, sold people sell people, caged people cage people, damaged people damage people, enslaved people enslave people, because hurt people hurt people. And what people do is not so far apart from the condition of their heart. But from this ordeal, what I choose to remind people is that found people can find people, restored people restore people, honored people honor people, loved people love people, redeemed people redeem people, healed people heal people, hope-filled people fill hope in people, because free people free people. And what people do is not so far apart from the condition of their heart. So from this ordeal, this is my very real plea. Free people, please. Free people. And I always come back to this, even, even before I was coming today. This is a little line that I wrote years ago that I say to myself. Our best kept secret is our weakness, because when we cry out, God meets us. And Psalm 23, you've all heard it many times. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And on the outside, at this time in my life, on the outside, I looked like one of these free people. I was kind of living my dream, living out the vision, I was traveling everywhere. But the truth was I was completely captive. I was completely enslaved inside. And um, as a teenager, I'd always been slightly overweight and had felt quite overweight. And as my, I entered my early 20s, and I began kind of speaking to large groups of people. Um, I, obviously, I was getting my photo taken for promotions and stuff like this. And it was definitely not celebrity status, let's rein that in. But for me, coming from where I was, I didn't ever really scrutinize my image or think too much about the way I looked. And suddenly, I was. I was really focused on it. And I decided that I needed to lose some weight. So... The way I wanted to go about it was do a bit more exercise, be more careful about what I ate. So I did that. And rapidly I saw results. I started to look slimmer. I felt great. I looked great. People commented, oh, you look so well. You've lost weight. And I felt fabulous. And I was moving around a lot. And I didn't have a support network in place. I didn't have good friends that I saw regularly. I was dotting between different churches as I was traveling. I was far away from my family. And very rapidly, I developed a very serious eating disorder. And I became very, very ill. And even when I was out in Cambodia, working with people who were in crazy amounts of suffering and completely the victim of what other people had done to them, I was slowly killing myself. And it took me a long time, and the irony is not lost on me, that I was so passionate about vulnerability and so quick to encourage people to engage with their own vulnerability, but yet I was not going anywhere near my own. And I would not accept that this was happening to me. I would not engage with the feelings I was having until it got to a very critical point. And I remember the time I actually kind of had revelation. 
and I was staying at someone else's house. This was a stranger that I was doing some poetry at their church, and I was staying at their house, and thankfully they were out at the time, but um, I just remember feeling complete desperation. I suddenly, it was as if, you know, the blinkers had come off. I saw myself for what was really happening, and I crawled under their dining room table and I was too numb. My emotions had shut down by this point. I was too numb to cry or anything, but I just knew, I just knew I was desperate. And I came before God and I just cried out and I said, God, you have to help me. I'm going to die. I can't do anything to save myself. And that point was the turning point for me was when I, when I cried out and God met me. And I would love to tell you that my healing was miraculous, but it wasn't. It wasn't an overnight miracle. And I realized in that moment, I have to step away from the poetry. I have to step away from what I'm doing because I can't do it and stay healthy. And I know that I have to get well. So I decided to move to Northern Ireland where I had done a little bit of work and spent some time. And I knew of a good church there that I felt I could be myself in. And I also knew of a specialist eating disorders clinic that I could get some proper counselling through and um, kind of begin to enter recovery. And that time was a very lonely and very dark time. And it was a case of learning the basics. I had to learn how to eat again, had to learn how to sleep, had to learn how to make friends, had to learn to laugh again. And... I remember reading that scripture that I'd heard a million times. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. And the thing I'd missed every time I'd heard it was, even though I walk through the valley. And that word through just stuck out at me because I was listening to a lie that came from the enemy that was shame. And that lie was telling me, this is the way you're always gonna be. This is where you belong. This is how it is. This is where you are. And I had sat down in the valley and I had made my home there and I had made my bed there and I had said, this is it. And when I read that scripture again, I said, no, I don't belong here. I'm moving through. It's a valley. I'm trusting God is with me because I didn't feel like it at the time sometimes. And I'm going to put one foot in front of the other because I'm moving through. And so I want to encourage you in that today. to When you read that scripture, when you hear it again, think, even though I walk through, don't sit down. Don't do what I did and be in denial for years. And although my healing was not something that was an overnight miracle, no matter how much I did pray for that. If you were to tell me eight years ago that I would stand here today as a person I am, I wouldn't have believed you. And the healing has been a frustrating walk of two steps forward and one step back. It's been clenched fists and panic attacks. It's been walking towards myself, running from myself, forgiving myself. And it's been a daily lesson of letting go and crying to God. But if you were to tell me eight years ago that I would cope with a normal job, I wouldn't have believed you. If you were to tell me that I would be able to eat a meal at someone else's house or be in the same room as food, I wouldn't have believed you. 
If you were to tell me that I would have real friends who I could be open and vulnerable with, I wouldn't have believed you. If you were to tell me that I would fall in love, I would not have believed you. If you were to tell me that I was going to get married, I wouldn't believe you. If you were to tell me that I'd be able to get pregnant, I wouldn't believe you. And if you were to tell me that I would have a beautiful baby girl, I would not have believed you. Because that's at least eight miracles in eight years. That's at least eight miracles in eight years. And since I walked away from all the poetry and walked away from sharing a number of years ago, I've only spoken, this will be the second time. The first time I shared at our church in Lewis. And when I was preparing for that, I just kept crying, kept crying when I was preparing it. And my prayer was, God, don't let me cry. Just let me get through it without crying. And of course I cried. And when I reflected on it, I realized that when I was crying, my tears, they give you permission to enter into that vulnerable space. They give you permission to cry for whatever valleys you've walked through or are walking through or for those people around you and the ones that are close to you that are struggling. And so when I was preparing for this talk, I was praying, God, let me cry as much as is helpful for everyone. (laughs) And as long as I can still speak and cry, I won't apologize for crying. And again, I realized that I'd spent a lot of time and energy and heart helping people to meet with their vulnerability and giving voice to theirs. And that was what I always shared when I toured other people's stories, other people's vulnerabilities. And over this season, I realized that I have a short story to share. I have the vulnerability that needs shared as well. And that I have my own story to tell. And that's exactly the same for all of you. Whether it's something that's really big or something that's really small, your best kept secret is your weakness. Because when you cry out, God meets us. And when we cry out to God, that is the invitation for God to enter into that space and to begin our recoveries, to begin our healing, to begin restored relationships. And when we cry out to those we know and love and trust, um, or, you know, like uh, Anna said uh, about the wisdom, when you have that space you can enter into, that is, the, that is powerful because that's where things can begin to heal and move forward. And when I was feeling like I was sitting down in that valley, I knew that it was shame that was holding me there, that I was ashamed of the things I was doing, I was ashamed of the things I was feeling, Um, I was ashamed that my hair was thinning and falling out, I was ashamed that I didn't have periods for years, I was ashamed that um, I would think things about people or you know, do things. And I realized that it would be a damn shame if shame had the last word. And it would be a damn shame if shame stopped me from living. And it would be a damn shame if shame had that last word because shame is not from God. And that's what we do when we cry out and we name what's going on with us to God. We break that shame. And that's when we can start moving forward because it is shame that keeps us quiet. And it would be a damn shame if shame stopped you from living. And um, I'm going to share another poem. And this is called Author. And hopefully it's one that we can, yeah, declare over all our lives. um, If I can find it.
author of old chapters, with your touch, turn these sepia pages, turn my brokenness into a battle cry. Author of new chapters, with your touch, turn these anticipated pages, turn my brokenness into a battle cry. Author of all chapters, with your touch, let me see your handwriting all over my life. Author of all chapters, with your touch, let me see your handwriting all over my life. I might do a few more, actually, things. I've got a bit of time. Um, but quite a few times, I, I, like I said, I say to myself, our best kept secret is our weakness. When we cry, God meets us. Another one that I used to say to myself all the time, or I'd reread in my journals, was weeping birds don't cry. Faithfulness is not a lie. There is a tree from which broken wings can fly. Weeping birds don't cry. Faithfulness is not a lie. There is a tree from which broken wings can fly. And throughout my journey over the last 10 years, I guess. Um, I've been so quick sometimes to put God in a box and to say, okay, God, this is what I want you to do here, or this is what I need here. And I think a challenge for all of us, particularly with vulnerability, is to just allow God to infiltrate every area of our lives. Um, and this is called God in a Box. When I take forward steps, I bubble wrap you, God, into a removal box. When I am feeling nostalgic, I fold you, God, into a memoir box. When I hear the echoes of my own solitude, I dial you from a phone box. And when I feel the tug of sharing, I ribbon you into a gift box. And when my tears cry for comfort, I peel you from a tissue box. And when I remember your promises, I adorn you from a jewellery box. And when I am stale of passion, I spark you from a matchbox. But, oh, uncompartmentalizable God, disturb our box heads with the explosive symphony of bursting boxes. The grave could not contain you. My brain cannot contain you. So why do I think my boxes can? Uncompartmentalizable God disturb our box heads with the healing symphony of bursting boxes. Because you'll find we all hide under hoods of different kinds and no matter what hood we're under, we feel misunderstood. And um, yeah, what I just would love to finish with, I guess, is um, the, yeah, just hear my heart that if there's, things that you're going through at the moment or things that are on your heart or mind, anything that you want to chat about or pray about, I'm more than welcome to um, pray with you. Uh, I've got a friend, Michelle, here who I say is here with prayer, but she's actually here with tissues as well, primarily for me. Um, so she's more than happy to pray. And of course, anyone that you came with or that you know. Um, but if there's something you need to cry out to God about um, and want someone to support you in that, then we'd love to to do that and um, yeah, help you into, enter that space of, of restoration and moving forward. Um, yeah, 
That's me.